honestly i don't even have a snapchat account so i don't really know like what people <laughs> do over there but <laughs> people come here to snap <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> hi friends welcome to the metacast dynamic Today I'm joined by Amimani Kumar, you know him, he's the co-founder of Navic. Tammy Levy, Chief Games Officer at Captain TV, and Tim Manville, CPO at Hutch. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello. It's great to be is here. That new, is that the cool way to say it? Hutch. It's sort of emphasize Hutch. the H. Yeah. Catch definitely. On. All right. Um today is a product party we're all product people hopefully hopefully we can deliver on the product party right right some we numbers jingle what's the product party jingle <laughs> because i see mario at the back so. <laughs> <laughs> okay do not hire us to write jingles fine. <laughs> before we carry on uh some sad news some happy news so nico he is amazing and he's going to move on to new adventures influencing you know building web3 games and what that means so he'll no longer be the crypto corner host on the metacast by navic and the happy news is that we're looking for a new host for that podcast so if you're listening and you're thinking oh maybe should i should i not don't worry i thought the exact same thing before sending navic an email and then suddenly becoming a host. Honestly, no worries. We were looking for someone who has a good grasp on crypto and gaming, but you don't need to really have experience in in podcasting as long as you're excited to do it. And just send an email. Let's 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 get to know you. When I when I sent the email, I thought, who am I? I'm nobody in the games industry. I'll never become a host. And then I did. It all worked and out. So take yeah. a chance. Yeah, yeah, take take a chance. Reach out to us. Yep. Definitely happy to hear from anyone interested. So, uh yeah, just reach out at metacast@navic.co and I will reach back out to have a call with you. Cool. All right. Can and we, it's fun, right? It's fun. It's fun to it's host fun. podcasts. It is it is really fun. It's a it's a great way to just gain knowledge every week. So I'm very very happy to have taken the the opportunity. And then I get to hang out with you, which is the best thing. One of the things I look for the most in my weeks. And to pick us up from some sad news of Nico going away, Manu, do you have a fun Navic Gamescom party quick story you could share with us? <laughs> uh, maybe not about the party though like i mean the party was really really great so you know uh, big thanks to phoenix games for you know uh, funding the whole thing and also dof and miska uh, in particular for you know even like bringing up the whole idea so i think it was a huge success we probably had like a little over like 400 people like walk in and walk out and it was really good to just like meet everyone after 3 years of no gamescom you know so um <clears throat> that was a great uh, meeting point um gamescom itself um yeah i was a little bit underwhelmed with you know uh the consumer section of it uh, a lot of the big companies weren't really there and didn't kind of get to see the usually in one hall there's always 
uh, EA with like, you know, uh, its huge stands in red. And like on the opposite side of the hall, there's always, you know, Activision Blizzard with its huge stands in blue. And you kind of stand in the center and it always feels like this, you know, <laughs> light company war kind of a thing between them and their games. But yeah, that was it, there wasn't like too much of that this year. Um, also, you know, blockchain gaming footprint at least in the main halls and the main uh, conference area was really really minimal um i think most of the blockchain gaming conversations were happening in the neighboring hotels <laughs> and not mm-hmm. in the main area but um but yeah interesting story i guess um maybe um Maybe one thing, one thing I had learned about Aaron because I also got to meet Aaron and uh, <laughs> Thomas, you know, for the first time ever in like three and a half years of like building the uh, building Navik. Uh, but an interesting story about Aaron is I got to know he is he is um, very very fascinated by ice cubes or you know <laughs> I, uh, I I don't even know if it's like cubes or like ice spheres um, and he loves to like look at the <laughs> I don't even know how to say it but like the water concentration in ice spheres and if it's like you know equally uh, spread out across the whole sphere or not so we were like on the first night when he reached we were sitting at this bar and having having a drink and you know just kind of uh, catching up and uh, in the glass in the glass uh, we we ordered like these old fashions and in that glass it was there was a big ice sphere in it and after he finished his drink he he told me about this like obsession he has with ice spheres and he basically pulled out the whole sphere in his hand like with like you know <laughs> water and drink kind of like spilling from his hand and he was just you know observing it <laughs> and and yeah that was that was something new i learned about aaron that's the kind of stuff you don't really get to learn about people over video so it was pretty good to like mm. meet him in person and you know get to get to see his quirks a little bit but yeah that is a fascinating Hobby, I'm gonna call yeah. it a hobby. <laughs> next Very next time ephemeral. he's on, like comes and goes. Yeah, <laughs> next time he's on, he's, I think you should like definitely ask him more about it. I forgot why he has that fascination, but he does. So, <laughs> I this is so random. I don't know what else to say about it. Um, <laughs> I think we'll carry on, and then I'll try to investigate. I'll do some googling into ice facts. All right. For the next time that <laughs> that he's on, <laughs> thanks for sharing. That's that's good. Now everyone knows about Aaron's fascination um, of ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we're jumping into the topics, this is a kind of a topic, but not really a topic. It's more of a summary because uh, yesterday Tencent announced that it increased its stake in Ubisoft, and I thought we should at least gloss gloss over it. So it's going to increase its minority stake. And it's valuing Ubisoft at nearly 10 billion US dollars. And it's also following NetEase's acquisition of Quantic Dream. Quantic Dream developed Heavy Rain and Detroit Become Human. And Tencent also recently increased its stake in From Software. So the transaction, this is really interesting to break down. Um, the transaction gives Tencent a total stake of 11% through the acquisition of a stake in the family's holding. So they have a direct stake with Ubisoft, and now they're acquiring a stake in the family's holding stake. They acquired 49.9%, and that gives them a 5% voting rights um, in the Gilmore. 
Brothers Limited. I'm trying my French here. And Tencent also has the, race, uh, the rights to raise its direct stake in Ubisoft to 9.99% from the current 4.5% and cannot go above the 9.99% for a period of eight years. I think there was a lot of discussion where there were some rumors about whether Ubisoft was looking for someone to acquire them or not. Um, there were some doubts about that. And I think this is this seems like a good intermediate solution. It's not a full acquisition. They got an investment, I think it's around 300 million. Do you have mm -hmm. any very quick takes before you move on? Yeah, at least from my side, like... Um... I've actually not spent as much time as I should probably looking into this, but uh, I also know that when Ubisoft kind of put out the whole, um, put out the idea of, you know, they want to like explore these strategic alternatives and like potential acquisition and such, they also had very, very high uh, expectations for it with, you know, a pretty like solid premium on their current stock price and such. And I guess the one thing we'll probably like cover it in the newsletter this Sunday or next Wednesday and maybe even the podcast. But um, yeah, the key question for me is like, did Ubisoft kind of get what it wanted through this? But the whole like stake in the family holding company, that's like a big question mark. Like, I, I, I don't get that. Um, like why they would structure it like that. But yeah, I also haven't like really looked into it. But that, that part felt weird a little bit. Yeah, I honestly don't know enough about all of these state stocks and how it works I, i'm really curious to read more content about someone breaking down the whys behind mm. all of these decisions um perhaps in the navic newsletter yeah fingers yeah, crossed it's also, it's also very interesting because i think uh tencent just in trying to expand their footprint they come up with like all sorts of interesting deals and setups and you know, sh splitting things in, in different ways and having different gates. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's very interesting how they just continue to do that. And, you know, slowly but surely, like you, you, you read up and you're like, oh, Tencent has a hand in that or Tencent has a yeah. finger in that. And it's just like, they're pretty much everywhere. Yep. At the end of the day, the difficulty of the Chinese market and the issues with getting their games approved to release there, in the end, it might actually turn out to be one of the best constraints that the company had to find a way to, to work around and potentially it'll lead to very successful long-term results. We'll, we'll have to see. All right, we're going to jump into the topics. I sounded very Canadian there with my all right. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be looking into <clears throat> social networks downsizing their gaming initiatives. So we'll be looking at a few companies. We're also exploring the creativity within IEPs. So mobile product managers get excited about this. And finally, we'll dive into Xbox's friends and family game pass and what that means to the players and what that means for the strategy. Tammy, you're first on the block. Uh, yeah, so it's it was an interesting week, uh, the last week, with uh, different moves and changes from various social networks in terms of um, changing, let's call it changing, their focus and prioritization around their gaming initiatives. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, there were three announcements uh, from TikTok announcing that they were downsizing 
their gaming initiatives to Facebook or Meta announcing that they were going to shut down uh, an app that a lot of people might not be familiar with called Facebook Gaming um, to an even bigger restructuring and reduce investment from Snapchat. Um, and as I was reading, you know, a lot of these different uh, announcements and just changes. The the thing that comes to mind is like games. Yes, games are hard, and a lot of these um, companies and in social networks, they see the value in going into games, expanding into games. But after a couple of years, it just gets really hard for them to justify that investment. And this is what we're seeing now. Um, some some numbers uh, before we kind of talk a little bit more about our, our takes on this, but um, the one that I'll go into more detail is the Snapchat one, which happened last week. They announced um, kind of their whole restructure. It impacted more than just um, Snap games. Uh, they sadly laid off 20% of their workforce, which is over a thousand employees, which is huge. It's always pretty hard to read uh, those numbers, just seeing how it's impacting gaming and the broader tech. Um, and they announced that they're going to be focusing on uh, their community growth, revenue growth, and augmented reality initiatives. Um, so a lot of things, basically everything that they had tried to expand into was impacted from uh, Snap Games and, and what they were calling mini apps. Um, they've been very clear that they are moving all of that to maintenance mode. They had acquired a couple of independent apps, one of them called Zenly. They're downsizing all um, those apps as well. Uh, they had a, uh, if you didn't know, are those, they had a are those, uh, gaming camera. Apps? Were, were those gaming apps, the, the Zenly? Uh, no, there were social social apps. One was like a social mapping app. Um, the other one, I forget what it, what it was. Um, they did have a couple of gaming apps. What and they're doing is moving them to maintenance mode, mm -hmm. basically. Okay. Yeah, they they had a, a hardware initiative with like a drone camera called Pixie. They canceled Pixie, that. Yeah. They had oh, that's uh, canceled. Snap shows. Uh, yeah, that's canceled. That's crazy. And yeah. the, what about they, the snap glasses? Are those also canceled? So th that, that was interesting because that says that they're in their announcement that they're just narrowing their focus for, so the spectacles that they call it, mm. they didn't, they did not call that out as uh, canceled, just narrowed their scope. Mm. Um, and I think that part of it is that they, it falls under their AR initiatives. Mm. Um, and it, I mean, what, what they were developing was like pretty interesting. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the demos of, of, AR with like their spectacles. It was pretty, pretty impressive. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll see what they end up doing there. Uh, side note, I just think it's, it's super hard, especially with like the spectacles and the drone camera piece. It's so hard to be a hardware company if you're not a hardware company. And I think that that's part of what, um, you know, some of these initiatives really show and like kind of the, this change of focus, right? Like if you're a software company and try to go into hardware, it's it's not the same skills. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the same expertise. And also, um, like, takes your focus off of the software part of it, especially with, like, the big TikTok elephant, you know? Uh, just right? like, massively, yeah, yeah. like, you know, gaining market share. But, yeah. 
I, I realized how behind I was on knowing what Snap did when I was research, researching for this topic because I thought Snap was Snapchat and then I started going through it. I can't really find this thread of focus in their strategy. So it's, it's very sad that they had to lay off um, a lot of people. I do understand after researching why they made this decision, especially considering just the basics of your revenue, your costs, and whether you get profit or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they, they also had like Web3 initiatives. I think that's also in the in the shutdown. So it's like just like a laundry list of things that they, they were trying, right? Uh specific to to games though, one one thing that I find um very interesting is that they were trying a very similar uh strategy to what Facebook tried with the instant games. Mm-hmm. And Facebook shut that down in twenty nineteen. So it's, it's, you know, almost, you know, the market has changed. They approach it differently, but it's almost history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see if history repeats itself again with the TikTok games. Exactly. That, w- that was going to be my, my, my next oh, point. No, right? sorry. Like, I no, no, it's great. It's great, right? It's like TikTok is, uh, I think that they're, no, even though they called out that they're, kind of reducing their gaming focus. I think the place where they're still going to be investing is in their mini games, in their instant games or whatever they'll call it, bite-sized games. Um, so we'll see, we'll see if TikTok figures it out, but it's just very interesting to see that social networks see this value. They want to see gaming come, come to life and they just haven't been able to find the right approach, the right design. Um, one of the pieces is their monetization, right? Like they're for these games to work, uh, at least they've they've tried to do um, ad monetization, and with you know all the ad network woos and you know Apple ad tracking, you know it just feels like Snapchat is, is another victim of that in in that regard specifically. Um, they try in app purchases but you know goes back to like the 30% cut how do they approach this you know these are not deep games that monetize super super deep um and you know that's that's really you know they could try subscriptions which netflix is kind of going down going down that path of like hey we offer games within our subscriptions so it'll be it'll be interesting to see um you know where all of these initiatives net out. It's sad to see that Snapchat that already had a ton, a ton of games, like over 30 games. They had partnered with some huge names, Zynga, Zeptolabs, Pickpock, uh, Voodoo was one of the huge ones that they worked mm. with. They had really good engagement, like 40% of their users, and they still couldn't couldn't quite um, justify it. So uh, the, the question I wanted to just open it up to all, all of you guys is, do you see a model that could work out for um, social networks bringing games kind of more deeply integrated into their experience? Or is that just kind of a, a pursuit that is, is not going to yeah, pan yeah. out? Well, the, the thing that I, I hark back to is whenever you're looking at some kind of new or risky endeavor, you look for examples of success in the past, right? 
Uh, if there's been no examples of success, then like, okay, wow, you know, be careful about this. Uh, but in this case, there, there's a clear one, right? Facebook in the pre sort of mobile games era was it. Facebook and games was absolutely colossal. So there is this one example of that working. But then I don't think there are any others. So, and when there's only one, you have to be almost as careful as when there's none, because like maybe there were some very special circumstances. There's, the there's WeChat. I was going to say there's WeChat. Right. I think like for, it's we, like WeChat, but it's a completely different market, right? Yeah. yeah it's a completely different that, time and place. Yeah. Yeah. In that market, it's actually like, it's working to some extent, but I think that also kind of like, um, uh, that just calls out the difference in just audience uh, preferences from <laughs> in between the East and the West. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, sorry to cut you off, Tim, uh, but I just wanted to say, yeah, there's also like WeChat uh, that is like a. Yeah, but there's, there's a sort of uh, special kind of monopoly arrangement going on there in a few ways, right? Which maybe yeah, doesn't hold super well app. Yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. think the, I think the difference is Facebook is a, social app and i think wechat is almost a life management app you can do everything related to your life within within the app nearly call a taxi manage your bank book a movie ticket and so is it games that are working in wechat or is it just such a big behemoth where you do already everything almost as if it's your smartphone yeah, and I think exactly part of it is where are you at in your head? Like I, I am on my phone and I'm like, I'm going to go to a social app or I'm going to go to a game. If, if I'm on WeChat, it's like I am in WeChat <laughs> rather, than, yeah. like, rather than being on my phone. I could go to social or a game. Yeah. Where, and it's, then, it's your operating system, right? It's like, the, like WeChat yeah. is the operating system. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually think like Snap's, uh, the whole like minis initiative was was pretty much like parallel to what WeChat was trying to do with the whole super app because with all these mini apps, I mean, games was only like one part of it, but you could also, you know, book tickets and like RSVP to events with your friends. Mm -hmm. And basically like all these social group activities were all these mini applications from, you know, Eventbrite or Coachella and, you know, all these different companies. So I actually think... um, I mean, yeah, again, like I haven't like really looked deeply into it, but the whole mini strategy that they were trying, I felt was trying to like bring super apps to the West. (laughs) But and that's why I say like it just kind of shows the audience preferences uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they they really don't want it. And like for the game specifically, um, you know, the, the more that Tammy was explaining, like how these game experiences are, it just felt like, um, the the big question for, you know, like at least for me or probably even like some more of the audience would be like, if I'm basically going to get a game experience that is closer and closer to another game's experience that is basically its own app, which is, you know, it's a game with ads and IAPs and whatnot. Why would I play it on Snapchat and not just like open another app? Uh, and I also have my friends over there, you know, and it's a more, it's just a more high fidelity experience like that. So I felt like, there was just like this fundamental, you know, problem with how they were approaching games. I felt uh, 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 on on Snap, but I think the way TikTok is doing it is maybe a little bit different. So <clears throat> TikTok is not really like 
at least what I've seen on the app until now, they're not creating like these full-fledged game experiences, right? It's it's more these like very, very mini, uh, small mini games that is native to the video platform. So you have to like, uh, you'll have to like move your head on video to make the, you know, flappy bird character move through the obstacles. And, and that works. And then people make videos of them, you know, looking funny doing that. And then it kind of drives the engagement algorithm and basically the core purpose of the app more versus Snapchat, which was, okay, well, you know, it's a, it, you have all your friends over here. So I guess you also want to play games with them. So here's like a full-fledged game experience in like a button in the corner. And, you know, yeah. that'll work. But maybe on paper that makes what? sense. But, you know, it didn't really like play out. There's this, there's a metaphor used a few times that actually talk about, imagine combining this great thing with this other great thing. So you're like, okay, we've got a cool social network. Gaming Mm -hmm. is huge. Let's have some of that. But you've got to be careful that you're not just saying, we've got a cool car. Let's make it as fast as an F1 car and with the capacity of a cruise ship. Wouldn't that be just amazing? And you're like, yeah, you're actually trying to drive together two things that don't really work and then that's why like you say tiktok's approach okay it makes more sense you're actually going with the grain of the thing that you have games actually can take any form a game can take 10 seconds a game can take a thousand hours well okay choose the space that makes sense uh for for what you have and then okay maybe you have something i feel like i don't know maybe it's too speculative but you sort of lean into games that are already like people play sort of games folk games in a way within social networks it's like Oh, here's a funny question. What's your answer to this question? Okay. Or, or like, here's a funny image. Add your thing to it and pass it on. These are these are close to games already. Can you, you know, dive deeper on that? I can't imagine what it is. It's easy to say. Yeah. No, I think I think that part that. part of the the piece for me that is is super conflicting with when thinking about games, bringing games to these other platforms and mediums is the the user motivation and the user patterns, um, which are like entirely different from your traditional game. So to build a game that really resonates with, you know, the the use patterns and engagement patterns that you know, these networks or platforms already have, you have to think, you know, outside the box, design a new paradigm or adapt a paradigm to that uh, way of interacting. At the same time, a lot of those times it kills uh, what would be a lot of what you know to be as your monetization levers. So I think like that's that's really where potentially as an industry we're getting stuck is we want to monetize in the way that we know, but it's not going to work for these certain types of experiences. So you have a conflict of interest of do I drive you know, this engaging, you know, bite size to use the, the term that TikTok has been using for, for their games. Do I provide this bite size, you know, game experience to enhance the 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 experience of the platform of the yeah. of the of the network, or do I focus on what I know works to monetize <laughs> free gaming experiences? And you end up, you know, adding all of these layers that will potentially, you know, kill the flow, kill the engagement. So I think like there's there's something that we just as as an industry we haven't 
embrace or figure out how to break kind of those two barriers and have them work together. If, you know, I think that a lot of these games would be hugely successful if you were just, you know, let's drive just engagement on games. Games help uh, keep players around in the apps and let's forget about monetization. Right. Yeah. Like so, that would be well, a very different approach. Out of social networks, right? There's Netflix, right? Where actually maybe it could make more sense because you just, you want this content and people engage with the content and that keeps them renewing. So there's a sense in which you don't have to do something radically different. Uh, I, I feel like they haven't quite, I feel like they haven't really put their foot on the gas with it. Like there's a bunch of games there, but they're clearly not trying, right? Like that, if you just watch Netflix on the TV, you don't even know it exists. So I feel like there's a later stage to come where they try this properly, but I, I can sort of imagine it more. And even finding the, the games, finding the games yeah. on the Netflix app is difficult. It doesn't even yeah, have a weird. section to tap. It's, you just have to scroll through the main page enough until you find it. I think you're nailing it on the head there with the TikTok example and why it probably didn't work with Snap. It, I think there's a very big difference between we have a social app, let's integrate games with it so that people can continue talking to each other but doing something else. And then looking at what TikTok is doing, which is we know how to monetize TikTok. We know how to make money from it. How can we develop games that further spin the wheel that already exists yep. and keep it spinning with content that is specific yeah. for what already works? Yeah, I mean, like people, I mean, TikTok, I guess, realized, okay, people are coming to this app to, you know, create these short videos. They enjoy those short videos. And if you want to, like, how do we, like, allow them or, like, create op more opportunities for them to basically create more videos? Because that's going to, yeah. like, you know, uh, spin spin their uh, business flywheel. And, you know, they build games or game experiences kind of keeping that in mind. And it works great. And, you know, it's making that flywheel work. But Snap is, well, okay, people come here to, I don't know. I Actually, I don't even have a Snapchat account, so I don't really know, like, what people <laughs> do over there. But <laughs> people come here to Snap. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, okay, great. Well, we want to keep them snapping longer. So, you know, let's put a little button with a game that basically looks like another mobile game. And maybe yeah. they snap longer. But that that clearly doesn't exactly. work. I just, like, played because the other mobile game. The the core of Snapchat is you create something and then it goes away, so it's ephemeris. But mm -hmm. I didn't really see them embracing that with their with their game design. Um, mm -hmm. We do need to carry on into the next topic. I just want to highlight that I know we're speaking with positivity about TikTok's gaming strategy. They did downsize quite recently, but from my research, it was not from these initiatives. It was from developing their own games. Yeah, kind is of that, the side okay. initiatives. So. We'll, we'll see where they end it out. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm very curious and skeptical about both TikTok and Netflix, but those are two, two other deep dives we'll have to do in the future. <laughs> Tim, tell us, what, what do you know about IAPs? What's exciting? All right. Well, so w first of all, right, just generally, I'm tremendously excited by games, just of all kinds. The fact that a game can just be anything, you know, like... It is it's just tremendously exciting to me generally. Uh, in fact, oh, I'm just reminded of uh, it's like uh, practical games. There was a lovely viral video of playing playful, playing a game where they're 
they're like on the edge of a cliff or something, and you take it in turns to throw your shoe as close as you can to the edge of the cliff. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so there's a risk-reward there, right? If you go real too far, then, okay, you're going to have to go down and get your shoe later. That's a game. That's a game you can play. All right, that's great. And then there's IAPs. You're like, oh, okay, IAPs. Okay, well, this is where we make the money. It's like, no, the possibilities are still vast. There's the full range of things you can do and conceive of is still present. It's amazing what you can do, and we've kind of barely scratched the surface. There's limitations, right, for sure, right? Like, okay, there's a 30% cut going on uh, on Apple and Google, so that makes some things less good. Like, there's a particularly uh, cool thing that was used uh, I think at a theme park for those, you know, where they take photos of you on the ride mm-hmm. and they try to sell you afterwards. And it's always a weird, like, okay, I'll do it. How much is it? What? That's ridiculous. And there was a lot of success with the model where it was like, pay what you want and 50% of it goes to charity. And that was the most successful way to set it up. Pay what you want, but 50% goes to charity. Uh, so that's cool. And the Humble Bundle then kind of took that and ran with it. But if somebody's taking a 30% cut, Okay, those kind of cool gambits start to look less good. And then there's the practicalities. You, you know, how do you handle refunds? Uh, is it a thing that you can claim back if you go on another device? And okay, there's some problems, but there's still loads of amazing stuff that you can do. And so what, what this was just jumping off an article that uh, Maria shared, right, from Game Refinery about some cool examples of some IAP offers. And there, there were some nice things there that I hadn't heard of and some other ones. So uh, some smaller things, some bigger things. It also ties to why recently I stopped playing Pokemon Go. I talked to some other people who had, and they have this beautiful thing, right, where they have this Pokemon Go Fest. There's an IAP. It's like $11 to participate in this virtual online thing. But once you've got it, you can buy somebody else that IAP for like half the price, for $5. Uh, Because it's a social game, I guess, and you want to play it as a family, and you don't want to go, oh, my goodness, it's going to cost me $50 to get my family to play this thing. Okay, there's a discount. But it also means you have a sort of viral IAP. You know, it's like, because the person who gets the cheap one, but they've now got it. So I think they can then buy somebody else the one for $5. So there's a whole thing where, okay, now you've got a social thing. You're talking to each other to try and work out how to get it cheaper. And it's a hefty discount. So it's worth doing it. I thought that was that was really clever. But there's simpler things. So the Merge Fables example was actually kind of simple, but kind of effective. It's just like, you're going to do this series of quests and you're going to win these prizes. And they just have a screen where it puts on the one half, like, here's the prizes you're going to get for the quest. And over the other half, it's like, oh, and there's an IAP for all of these things, by the way. And you kind of look at them and you go, oh, right, I'm going to do all this stuff to get these. Or I could just pay $5 and get all of those things. And it's kind of nice because I like to talk about things that go with the grain of human nature. Like if you're making an IAP bundle, the natural thing is to think, like, is this worth it to me? Like how I could get that from here, I'm going to get this here. And it's just literally on the same screen. Kind of makes sense, really. You're going to do this quest for these things. Here's an IAP for these things. Simple, uh, but I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I mean, there's a few others, but I don't know. I thought I should throw it out here. If you guys had any particularly favorite IAPs or crazy purchasing experiences you've seen or even made. I think one of my favorite IAP designs is from Mobile Legends Bang Bang. Not, Not many games can get through my hard shell of... I shall not monetize. And Mobile Legends got me because they gave me almost a quest system. They gave me rewards for buying. And it's sort of, oh, I'll get this thing that I'm buying and I'll get a reward. And if I keep buying enough, I'll get a super amazing reward. And it was almost gamifying my consumer behavior. 
yeah, in a way, the season pass or battle pass thing is a, a kind of version of that because it's like there's this whole game and you're going to unlock prizes as you go. And then, oh, if you pay, there's this cooler version of it. So it's like the game aspect is built in. I think I think it was um, I think it was Nexon that actually um, either pioneered it or popular popularized that mechanic specifically um, uh, in one of their games. Um, I think they called it uh, it was called some some kind of like VIP VIP payer mechanic or something like that. And um, yeah, basically it was you know what you said right now, like as like. Basically, they're tracking your purchases, and the more purchases you make, the more rewards that you can get. And these rewards are like some pretty like crazy rewards that you know um, are not available to the you know um, the rest of the ninety eight, ninety seven percent of the population. But um, but yeah, I, I think it was Nexon that actually uh, pioneered or popular popularized that one. You have the whole thing of free players. You you have some people who play for free, some people who spend a little bit, and some people who even spend a huge amount. Uh, there's a strange paradox where generally what you set it up is like the more you buy, the more you save. But at the same time, the people spending the most, they need those savings the least. The, the mm. people at the lower level, they're the ones who really need the discount. And yet at the same time, the more you buy, you save. How do you square that? Frequently, right? It's with IAPs. So like there's sometimes there was a very clean version of it I saw in Dungeon Link back in the day where there was just once a month, there was an extremely good offer for $5. Once every two weeks, there was a quite good offer for $10. And once every week, there was a not as good offer for $20. So that meant, and then there was standard. So that means if you were not spending very much, well, okay, you just get the thing that once a month. If you spend a little bit, you get the next one. And in this way, you actually get a discount that's bigger if you're spending less. I thought that was quite cute. Interesting. I think the, the question I want to put to the group is, do small gaming companies have the luxury of innovating IAPs? Because it, there's known patterns, especially in free-to-play. And if you're a small team, you can see what already works in the industry. And you don't have a lot of creative time because you need to get going with what you're doing. And I think innovating IAPs, especially with something that is so ingrained and so already well-known, it takes a lot of creative thought and just exploration time to find something that could work and then do an experimentation. So what, what do you think? Can can and should small com- small gaming companies try to innovate their IAPs? I think so so it's 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 a very interesting question because I think that we within free to play we know that there's only a percentage that is ever going to play, right? So you are optimizing or maximizing like if we're speaking of like traditional IAPs and like traditional quote-unquote, but, just, you know, IP purchase, free-to-play. Um, we're still talking about like that, you know, your ceiling is 6% ever of your players are ever going to play. If you're like super strong on your on your monetization, maybe 8% if you're like, you know, some of the, the best-in-class outliers. Um, so even though I think like small teams are the ones that can probably experiment the most in terms of just if you're a small team you know you can you can potentially like play around with it more have more fun your players like if you have a good relationship with your players like they can be a little bit more flexible with you experimenting at the same time like what are what are you optimizing right like what's the risk reward of you spending time 
on optimizing that small percentage. Uh, ultimately, with anything on station, it comes to sample size, right? When you're experimenting, and that's a problem that gets a lot of the small teams. I think like one one thing is like team bandwidth and capacity. Uh, whether their audience is even like open to you know you experimenting, but at the end of the day, for you to like experiment in even even if you're just not doing a navy test, even if you're just like launching something. For you to learn out of it, for you to get like some significant learning out of it, it comes down to your sample size. And if your user base is smaller, being a smaller team uh, or a smaller game, that becomes hairier and hairier in terms of, you know, do are these gains significant or not that we just like look out on, on seeing like a little boost here. Um, also, it comes at a risk of, you know, your economy, um, you know, potentially like flooding your economy with a bunch of stuff that mm -hmm. you then don't have like the sinks to like soak out of the, of the economy. So I think it's IP monetization. I, I'd love to see more experimentation and just creative thinking, but it also comes with a lot of risk and it comes down to, you know, what's the risk tolerance for a team? Like what are, what are their goals uh, not only like what is their bandwidth, but what are their goals as a team, mm -hmm. as a company, and whether they can afford to take that risk in in experimenting. Yeah. And building on those those challenges of A/B tests, like very often when you do something that's far out there and there's a risk, you don't know how it works, and you almost certainly haven't hit upon the best version of it. So it'll be like, okay, we'll do that, and you're like, oh, that was a bit crazy in this way. We need to tweak it like this, and you find you know the local maxima that makes sense for that idea. It's even harder, right? If you've got small teams, small population to, to run the experiments on, they'll have anchoring effects if they're that small because you've changed the value of this IAP and they remember what it was like before. Whereas if you have a constant stream of a large number of new players coming in, right, okay, we can do these tests and get a cleaner view. So that's really mm -hmm. hard. And then the other one I was going to mention on this is that there are a lot of built-in cognitive strange biases around money and the way people think about it. And I think it's very easy to come up with something that in theory makes sense and then actually goes down really badly. Like one thing I was considering was um, like, what do, you, what do you mean an IAP? And it's like the extreme version of delayed gratification. Like you go, okay, you can buy now and you'll get 50% more gold, but you'll get it in a week's time. Uh, like, ah, you know, maybe that's better. And maybe that's dissuading from people from making impulse purchases because maybe that's not a good thing. But then gamers could easily look at it the other way and go, look, you're charging you're giving less to the people who are buying it in the moment. You're exploiting their weakness by making them pay more. You could look at it that way, and maybe that's how most people would look at it. So you've got to be really, really careful, for sure. When I say things that go with a grain of human nature, actually, that can be bad. Like, in that case, you would say, no, we should do it the other way. We should do offers that last for five minutes and the best value. And because <laughs> that's mm -hmm. what people want to do. And people are like, is that really the best thing? I, I don't know. I also feel yes. like, um, you know, to your question about like, do small teams have the luxury to innovate? Um, I also feel like a lot of innovation does come naturally from the small teams because, you know, they're small and scrappy and they can like, you know, basically like implement crazy ideas very quickly. Um, and, but everything that also like Tammy said about, you know, um, 
once you do implement something like that then like measuring the impact of it has if especially in an ab test scenario like do you have enough of an audience to find like a statistically significant result and such like all of that like becomes very important but in the bigger companies when an idea like that like a crazy idea comes you know then it gets kind of um squashed with okay do we have like enough of the audience and you know all these right questions it get get yeah. get squashed with all the right questions but in a smaller company i think people i think teams would just be okay well i guess we don't really know until we try you know and and then they go ahead and you know implement it but and but yeah i think with the smaller teams also you know basically maybe their games don't really have the audience to kind of you know uh, very formally uh, showcase an impact of a new idea but for those teams the new ideas will be pretty like obvious also in terms of their impact and you probably mm-hmm. don't even need an ab test uh, for them um, i mean even this idea that uh, tim was talking about the you know the merge fables uh, idea mm-hmm. of you know showcasing what you get with grind versus pay now um i mean that i don't like what is this com- this company is like some they're also a small team right a startup or something and i mean they they innovated with it and it seemed to work so yeah that's that's a good point um something that i was contemplating this week is i believe being a product manager that's working on a smaller team forces you to take bigger bets on how much how much risk you need to take to see a big impact because if you're a big team with a lot of capacity you can afford to do the investment of all of these small experiments and see the small uplifts that they can bring but if you have very limited time to invest you have to make bold bold decisions bold bold risks to to see that uplift yeah so in conclusion medium sized companies So it's on them. <laughs> well, well, I think I think for the, for sure the way the that way. The, the way that I would always um, call it out is you retention's hard. So first, make sure that your user base is there. Then go crazy with monetization. Like if if you're at the point where <laughs> you can you can be talking about like, hey, how do we how do we maximize monetization? Man, you're already on the other other side of of success with with your game. Make make sure the wallets the... actually exist to eventually open. So, but yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. At that, at so that point, you're already like pretty pretty successful with your game. Like having a game that's sticky and like people engage long term. That's the hardest, I think, um, thing that we're we're <clears throat> always trying to figure out. Yeah. If you can, if we can be thinking about monetization. You can go crazy. Uh, read up on on all sorts of like crazy ideas that maybe haven't been tried. Like, because you can back to your point, Tim. Where, um, you know, have you seen this be successful, been tried or not? Uh, it's like big ideas. I think it also goes to like monetization and like even smaller things, like what we're talking about, like smaller optimizations. It, there's a lot of systems in monetization structures and and ways that we can think about IPs that haven't been tried in games but have been proven in maybe in other businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um that's a, like a safer way to like go crazy with games like I think uh the the Green of Fire um example reminded me and it was not quite to like one 
crazy idea that I at some point I had discussed with um, a coworker, which was like more of like, hey, what if we provide like the Froyo experience for in-app purchases? So you come in. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Froyo, but like you, you <laughs> grab your cup and you serve yourself as much oh, frozen yogurt as you want. Oh, it's like uh, make, you make your own bundle kind of uh, a yeah. thing. I've seen like, some games do that. Yeah. And you like throw in like your sprinkles and like all your goodies and then you just go and weigh it and they tell you how freaking expensive the thing is. But it's like, <laughs> but you already done all the work. Put it back. <laughs> well, you already, you're already excited about this thing yeah. that you've built with your own creativity. I, I actually, uh, uh, I pitched this feature as like one of when I when I just started working at Zynga for Farmville One. I pitched this feature as like one one thing that we could do. Um, and I forget if we actually ended up implementing it or not, but it was exactly what you said. Like, just make your own bundle kind of a thing. And, uh, damn. <laughs> well, we've learned that Tammy also really likes Freyo. Mm -hmm. It's always a scam. I don't, I always like it until <laughs> I pay it. And I'm like, man, it's not worth it. And then I fall for it again. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like it's pretty bad. No, like while you're actually making this, you know, this awesome thing that you want to eat, like every second of making it, you're also like feeling bad at the same time. <laughs> like, oh, am I taking yeah. too much? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious now. Based on other industries, we'll see if uh, free-to-play games start using mail-in cashbacks. You have to send a little letter to get your cashback. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a whole gambit. Yeah. Um, yes, it's quite. It's, it's quite progressive. Day. It's quite progressive because it, the people who really, really need that discount, they're motivated to do it, right? And then the people who don't really need the money, they're like, ah, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And then they don't do it. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Speaking that. about family discounts, um, Xbox friends and family. How's that for a transition? Nice. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Just watch the YouTube video so you can see the disappointed faces right now. The excited faces. Um, what are you talking about? Very <laughs> the mic is in front of my face. You can't see it. <laughs> okay. Quick summary. So Microsoft, they officially announced the Xbox Game Pass Friends and Family earlier in September, which is only seven days old. But they did a little leak. So rumors were about towards the end of August. The concept is that one user pays the membership and then four other friends or family, but really people that live in the same country as you. So you don't have to be from the same household, just from the same country. They can then use, use the pass for that same price. Each person has their own account, their own profile, their own saves, their own achievements. So it's a completely sep separate experience. That's your player save data between all of these five different accounts in this membership. And you can even play the same game at the same time. You can all use multiplayer. It's really just five memberships within one. You also don't need neither a console nor a PC because the cloud gaming is included in this price. So Xbox Game, game Pass has two tiers. You can buy the Xbox Pass. You can buy the PC Pass for $9.99. And then there's a ultimate pass that encompasses PC, console, um, I think cloud as well, the multiplayer capabilities. And the Xbox friends and family is essentially an ultimate pass. So you gain access to all of that. Just to give you some idea on the pricing and how high value you get, the, 
the pass without the multiplayer, so the, is $9.99. The ultimate pass is $14.99. The friends and family pass, so this is in euros because it's currently only being tested in the Republic of Ireland and Colombia, but in euros, it is $21.99. So if you divide that through it's five people, that's, that's less than five, five euros um, per person. Oh, yeah, because the USD and euro is nearly yeah. one-to-one now. So yeah. less than five euros per, per person. You gain access to all of the games. I think this is the thing that's going to make me buy a, a, a console because it's great value. But, okay, what what amuses me about it is, uh, is how it looks in opposition to Netflix, right? Who are talking yeah. about going basically the other way <laughs> and saying, wait a minute, look at all these guys sharing these passwords. And we're losing people. That's not fair. So let's so have, charge them separately. And then Microsoft coming in the other way. I have oh, a very good comparison. Netflix also has like the family thing, right? Like, so they have, so the Netflix pricing um, and their plan. So Netflix, you pay for screens, how many screens you can watch mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So their premium plan is for four screens and that's 20, 99 euros. And then for one screen is 8.99. So four screens is the same cost nearly as the friends and um, friends and family Xbox Game Pass, and Netflix has started exploring and implementing in certain countries that you have to pay additional to yeah. get someone using your account. I think I, I don't know all the details. I think if you buy the premium, you can you get some households already included in it. Um, but then if we look at PlayStation Plus, if we're looking at Ireland to compare the Republic of Ireland with with itself, the extra, which has all of the game, the game catalog of PS4 and 5, is $13.99 for one person. And so if you're looking at, I could use an Xbox Game Pass, which is less than five euros a month, or I could have the PS Plus. It's such a good strategy. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I well, mean, I, what I is it though? Does the money add up? <laughs> you, you still got to wonder, well, right? Well, that, that is the take I had on this, on this topic. <laughs> Because what is Microsoft's strategy? They're they're making the Game Pass even cheaper, and we see the cost of production, the cost of running businesses increase. Instead of we see everyone well generalizing, we see the markets increasing their price. And here comes Xbox saying, actually, we'll make it more affordable for you to play if you get together and self-organize as a group. Yeah. So well, you what know, they you did already have the uh, the mail-in coupon equivalent. Uh, right, there's this been this trick, sort of trick, since about 2019, where you buy Xbox Gold month in advance, then you can do a special conversion to Ultimate, and you pay one dollar for one month, and then you get the, all of your gold time gets converted to Ultimate, and it's this whole cool trick you can do. And they have a blog post explaining how to do the trick. Oh wow! <laughs> it's like, it's, but it's definitely mailing coupon time, right? Because it's like a bit fiddly and it's a bit of a hassle, and you actually are committing to probably three years in advance. Uh, but the value of that, I saw some players discussing this, is, is kind of similar to this new family gambit. So maybe that's why they weren't as afraid. On the other hand, this is for sure going to be a more convenient way to do it than this shenanigans. So yeah, I mean, instead of instead of people. like you know your four or five family members having to purchase a full new console and you know a full new account and everything, I guess. Uh, I mean, this would be kind of the way to kind of expand that um, transaction size per 
customer kind of a thing, right? Uh, for a mm-hmm. single family that would usually have one TV screen and one Xbox, and but they also have a computer screen, and you know, and it's it's effectively like the same screen thing that Netflix is doing. I feel, um, and honestly, like just speaking from personal experience, I don't have any data to back this up, but I pay for like the Netflix family. um uh, you know for four screens for me my wife my parents sitting in india my wife's brothers sitting you know in various parts of germany and honestly like my retention for that is is 100% like because if i cancel it then you know my mom would be like watching some you know <laughs> documentary or like a spanish film she started watching those these days i don't know why but she's watching spanish film <laughs> and suddenly like you know goes off so i mean that that doesn't make so, sense but i am in the complete <clears throat> same boat as you and one of my theories about why this is a great strategy for for microsoft is increasing the barrier of exit by having the social pressure of having to keep renewing your subscription yeah. i downgraded my subscription of Netflix from the premium to the two screens and on the same day i had you know my sister messaging me of i can't watch netflix what have you done and then i mm-hmm. had to <laughs> re-increase the tier um yeah i mean yeah, I, i'm, I'm the, even like scared the, of getting that message from the family as well i haven't even like you know downgraded or anything <laughs> i don't even want that <laughs> event to happen but <laughs> sorry that yeah i think that there's there's Yeah, there's a couple of things that came up to me, came up for me. One was the the subscription like the social part of it, right? Like we all we all share logins of all sorts, right? Like I have so many like streaming services, I only pay for half of them. The other ones are like shared logins with you know X1Z person. Um and I think like it's it's great timing from uh Microsoft to be announcing this when as you said Maria like there's like restrictions coming in people are angry like they're willing to go and look at the list of the subscriptions they have and start like purging mm-hmm. so with microsoft getting ahead of it is like oh no no wait don't purge ours purge the other guys mm-hmm. like all the other subscriptions that you have uh i think like what i found some interesting data actually around subscriptions which was um most people underestimate how much they spend on subscriptions by yeah. a lot like most people will estimate that they pay like 80 to 90 dollars in subscriptions when in reality the average is like way above 220 dollars mm-hmm. so as soon as you start you know doing an audit on your subscriptions you, you're going to look at it hard right because you're it's going to surprise you it's like yeah. oh i'm i'm spending like way more than i thought on on subscriptions i think like that's a great way to get ahead of it the other piece is when i think about Xbox uh Game Pass is like who are they competing with like what are in terms of like business goal other than you know just all the other subscriptions that you might have as a user if we go down to like where do you game as a user you know for example are they competing with Steam Steam has a huge library so they're trying to like you know make it you know Xbox also has a huge library and they're trying to like bring in you know people in and provide like a bunch of games potentially and like compete against um Steam I think like that's because they're going against like console PC uh in like cloud gaming right so they're trying to just like offer as much as they can to be able to compete with all these other libraries of games that you might have 
And when you start doing again, like the math of like, well, on Steam, I have to, I'm buying this game and this game and this game. On the Xbox Pass, I get all of these for free, but it's just like this $5 for me in, in, in my group Pass that now I have with, with my friends uh, or my family. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, huge value. Like at that point, you know, you start thinking about switching where, where you potentially play, where you potentially go first to play. I feel like, yeah, if you potentially like start the Netflix app and you, you know, open up your TV screen or you like go and game a little bit. I think they're even like competing just for general attention with companies Definitely. like Netflix. Yeah. Um, on the question about, you know, um, what, what you said, Maria, about like, well, production costs are increasing, but they are like further subsidizing everything by, you know, mm-hmm. doing, you know, family passes and such. <clears throat> I mean, of course, like just from the business impact perspective and i've i don't know i feel it will be a pretty positive impact first is i mean just the average transaction per existing customer will probably increase with this and two customer retention will probably or subscriber retention will also probably increase with this uh so there's definitely more stability but on top of that we also know like xbox um uh to get into the game pass um Every game or Microsoft itself is pretty flexible with the uh, way that they get games in. So they, some games are getting like a revenue share from the subscription revenue, but some some games just get like a one-time payment for you know uh, just getting the game onto the platform. And I think there are like two, three other different methods. So they also have like diversity in you know. Um, how they want to compensate these different game developers and that's dependent on how the game developer wants to get compensated so and you know that's why they kind of have the flexibility so um <clears throat> so yeah i feel like in 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 this world where you know okay production costs are increasing and such um microsoft still has like some defensibility against that because they just have like more you know options or op- just optionality for developers to kind of you know um keep their lights on essentially so yeah yeah i think it was a really good point about the announcement and releasing and now staving off the possibility of people leaving due to prioritizing what subscriptions they have because the no no matter how appealing the content is within the xbox game pass is still nearly 15 15 a month that someone would be paying and to show the pains, I looked at the Netflix data to show the pains of the economic downturn on people canceling their subscriptions. So in the first quarter, Netflix lost 200,000 subscribers. And in the second quarter, which is when we started seeing a snowball effect of everything that's happening in the world, nearly 1 million subscribers were removed. And still, this was... Below the worst case scenario, I believe Netflix were even expecting that they could have lost 2 million subscribers in the first half of the year. So that can have a massive impact. Yeah, and that's the first time that they've lost subscribers in 10 years, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's, it's, it's a massive like downturn in terms of like subscriptions, especially with like the subscription wars (laughs) that we're living. (laughs) Yeah, and especially with... Xbox exploring cloud gaming, um, exploring even being able to do streaming directly from your Samsung TVs, increasing the number of people that you can get within your net through these types of passes. They're also diversifying how people can engage with them. So you might be able 
to start attracting audiences that have never been interested in console, PC, uh, mobile phones, and start, yeah, start bringing in new audience to, to play games through these different types of interactivity. And then when the time is right, um, they'll increase the price a little bit for the entire family yeah. subscription. So <laughs> that'll, that'll probably happen also. And then you're exactly. tied tied down to them and you're like, well, it's a couple more bucks. Sure, yep. we'll pay it. Otherwise, I'm going to get that call from, from my brother or from, from my cousin. So, you know. Yeah, my, my Netflix subscription has now become my Christmas present to my family. Um, and other nice. stuff, of course. I'm not that terrible. Okay, we have to wrap up the episode. We had a lot of different discussions. I just want to do a shout out to Navic Pro. We have some really interesting deconstructions with Rev Racing, which is a blockchain racing game, and Beastar Deconstruction. So there's a, a code in the description if you want to become a Navic Pro subscriber. And if you want to say something additional to these topics, you can find us in the Navic's Discord. We're there. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining. It was lovely to have you on. We'll see uh, you Shout out to using week. your bank app to put on notifications so that every time a subscription payment goes out, you see it on your phone. <laughs> Do do that. <laughs> Game changer. Shout, okay. If you're doing shout, shout out to my mom for watching Spanish films. Yeah. Since we're doing shout outs. <laughs> Sammy, do you got a shout out? Is it to Froyo? Uh, I got a shout out to Froyo. <laughs> for always ripping me off. <laughs> nice. uh, bye, everyone. <laughs>